0: And in the last 14 years, since the year 2009, over 50,000 Christians have been killed by persecution in Nigeria alone. 50,000 believers. And 18,000 churches have been set on fire in the last 14 years in that nation. We can hear these statistics and they may move us to some extent. We We may think... Well, that's a, that's a vast number of Christians being persecuted, but it may help us to zoom in on a particular story of one Christian family who was persecuted. This is a family in Nigeria. In, in October of 2012, there was a young man who was 20 years old named Manga. He returned home one evening, and uh, a Muslim extremist group You've probably heard of them there in Nigeria. Uh, Boko Haram came to their door. They forced the father and his boys outside and told them to renounce Christ and convert to Islam. The Christian father and his sons would not convert. They killed his father brutally. They beheaded his father in front of the boys. And then they started to behead the boys. They were not successful. Um, The boys bled very much, but somehow they survived. The mother and the smaller children locked themselves inside a closet in the house. Some of the neighbors were able to come and intervene and chase off the terrorists. In the meantime, they'd put a bomb on the front porch of the Christian's house to try to blow them up, and they were not able to. But at the end of it, these two boys somehow survived, and they're left just like this psalm speaks of the fatherless. There are who knows how many Christian families now where there are widowed wives and fatherless children because of this persecution. And this is only one of thousands upon thousands and thousands of stories that could be told if we knew them from the last few decades throughout the world of all the Christians who have been persecuted and murdered for their faith. One Christian every two hours is killed in Nigeria, statistically. So this reminds us that just as the psalmist beheld the persecution of the righteous and prayed for them, we have much to pray for and this ought to be constantly on our minds when we go to prayer, including today. And in considering this, I want to open this psalm in four basic thoughts. Our theme is pray for our persecuted Christian brethren. First of all, do this knowing that it is our Christian duty to pray for them. We find this not only in this psalm, but we find it in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-2, Paul uh, pleads with the Thessalonian believers, Finally, my brethren... Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul is commanding the believers and asking believers to pray for him that he will not be subjected to the wicked hands of unbelievers who would persecute and stop him from preaching the gospel, and we ought to pray the same for our brothers throughout the world, even whom we've not met. Hebrews 13.3, the Apostle tells the Hebrew believers, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in one body also. Let us remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted as if we were being persecuted with them, as if we were being tortured with them, in prison with them, having our goods taken away like the Hebrew believers did. And remember that we're in the one body of Christ with these. And if one part of the body suffers, we all ought to sympathize with them in their suffering. It is our duty. And in this, we know it's our Christian duty to pray that God would destroy the dominion of the wicked. This is in verses 2-11. through The psalmist is highlighting the dominion of the wicked over the righteous. It's a prideful dominion in verses 2-4. to They're they're prospering in it. The wicked are strong. They're in power. They're the ones in control. They're the ones with the superiority who have the ability and who have the success, the clout, the wealth, the influence to persecute God's people. They do this in pride, thinking that they're getting away with it. They're... Powerful in verses 5-7. to seven. They're crafty in this. In verses 8-11, through 11, they, they lurk and they seek out ways like a crouching tiger to pounce on the righteous and to trap and ensnare them. And we can see this with our brothers in Cuba who are being persecuted. Look how crafty and look how cunning the Cuban communist government is in finding out ways to close the net on Christians and to force them out using their God-given intellect and understanding for evil to find out ways to plot and to trap the righteous. We're to pray that God would break their crafty dominion. It's an anti-God dominion of the wicked that we ought to pray that God will destroy. This is in verses 3 to 4, and then 11, and then 13, a theme throughout this psalm as it keeps on mentioning the wicked and the way they think of God or refuse to think of God. In verses 3 to 4, it tells us that he does not seek God, and God is in none of his thoughts. He's atheistic, he acts as if God doesn't exist. He'll just trample the people of God with no repercussion. In verse 11, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He'll never see. Yeah, where's the God of these Christians now? Why why doesn't He save them? Why doesn't He deliver them? Many a persecutor has made such a, a taunt and a mockery through the years and through the centuries. In verse 13, Why do the wicked renounce God? He had said in his heart, you will not require an account. The persecutors think they're not going to answer to God. They're not going to face God in judgment. I'm the judge. I'm God is basically what they're saying. And we as God's people ought to pray that God will break and destroy this dominion of the wicked throughout the earth. This is part of our... Our uh, responsibility to pray what Paul told us that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives. And it's also part of praying the second petition, Thy kingdom come. So we pray for the dominion of the wicked to be destroyed. We pray that God would advance the dominion of His kingdom. This is in verses 12 to 15 in our. Scripture reading, our unison reading today. We're to pray that God, who is Almighty, would advance the, the dominion of His kingdom. Arise, O Lord, verse 12. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Our Almighty God has but to lift up His hand. That's all it would take to wipe the wicked from the earth. He's the Almighty. We're to pray to Him for the advancement of His kingdom against the wicked. We're to pray to Him as the compassionate helper of His people. Verse 14, But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief, to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. God hasn't forgotten one of His sheep their worst persecution and suffering and trials. Remember our Lord Jesus says that if the very hairs of your head are numbered, and and He says, if even a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Heavenly Father seeing it, how much more precious are you as your life than that sparrow? Remember how Scripture likens it to a nursing mother. How can she forget her nursing infant? So God cannot forget. So God pities. And like a father pities his children, so God pities them that fear Him. God has not forgotten. And in the midst of all this persecution, God beholds all. God knows all. God records all and will bring them into judgment. And He will deliver His people either in this life or in the life to come where they'll be free from persecution forever. And we're to pray to Him for this end. Briefly, Three further thoughts from this. that We're to pray in faith, looking to Jesus Christ, remembering that Christ prayed for all believers. In John 17, he prays for all those who believe by the Apostles' Word. And Hebrews tells us he ever lives now to make intercession for us. Our Lord Jesus Christ is praying for our persecuted brethren. And when we pray, we go in his name through the access he has purchased by his own blood and through his resurrection. We're to pray for our persecuted Christian brethren, not only in faith looking to Jesus, but in love, remembering the great obligation that we have. What a sin it would be to neglect prayer for our persecuted brothers, and what a privilege it is to be able to enter in with them in their suffering by remembering them in prayer. And lastly, we're to pray in hope remembering that a new day is coming. Verses 16-18 to reminds us of this. Here he's finished praying as far as his petition. He's not asking anymore. He's simply declaring who God is and what God has promised to do. This is the future of all of God's people, including the persecuted. Verse 16, The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations have perished out of His land. Lord, You have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause Your ear to hear. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. There's coming a day, and let's remember this as we pray, there's coming a day when all these prayers will be answered forever, and when Christians will never suffer again, including suffering persecution. Amen.